0: Good morning, Haven Church. Find your seats. Thank you for that warm greeting. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jessica. I'm one of the members here. I'll be reading our scripture for us this morning. Our scripture today comes from John 11, 1 through 35, if you'd like to pull out your Bibles and read with me. Verses will also be on the screen. Now a certain man was ill. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going to go there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant he was taking a rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. Let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks, Jess. All right, good morning, Haven Church family. Y'all doing all right? Man, how about that? That praise and worship this morning. Woo, thank you, team. Let's hear for the team leading us in exaltation of Jesus. That was just, man, so good. All right, well, uh, as you know, we are continuing our series love walked among us, rediscovering the heart of Jesus. And uh, if I were to illustrate to you what our hope is with this sermon series, our, our hope, I had this thought come to mind in my preparation of, of our, our hope with this series is that just like with that Arctic chill last week, right? And I remember the Arctic chill, like nine degrees, ton of snow, you go outside and you're cold and you're numb, right? Well, how do you get warm? Well, you go inside and you make yourself a massive fire in your fireplace and you draw near to that fire. And as you draw near and you stay there and you just get close to some heat, the numbness and the coldness begins to turn to, to warmness and you begin to glow. And so our hope with this series, as we get near to God, as we, in his word, look at the heart of Jesus, the, the flaming, white, hot flames of his, of his love and affection for his people that are cold, numb hearts, would get warm and, and glow again in warmth and affection for him. So that's our hope of this series. It will go until Easter uh, Sunday, uh, so we have about eight more weeks. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited for some of the other texts that we're going to dive into as we just look at uh, Jesus and these one-on-one count- encounters he had with people in uh, the gospel. So uh, before we dive into the sermon text, I want to um, uh, ask a very important, solemn, serious question to everyone here, and I want you to think long and hard about it before you raise your hand. But who here has seen Terminator 2? Anyone say <laughs> anyone who raises your sinners right now? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I'm not endorsing this movie. I haven't seen this movie in like 20 years, all right? So don't you know, like, don't email me. Like, why are you okay? This is all going somewhere, all right? If you don't know the premise of the Terminator 2 and Terminator series, is this is the premise of uh, this movie series, is that ChatGBT has taken over the world. <laughs> And created an army of robots that are, like, wiping humanity off the earth. So AI has taken over the world, and these AI robots are, like, killing all of the world. And in Terminator 2, there's this kid named John Connor. He's in junior high. And he doesn't know it, but the robots from the future know that he is the, he's going to be the savior of humanity. In about 30 years, he's going to be this military general who's going to kill all the robots and save humanity. But he doesn't know that. But two robots come from the future... One, to kill John Connor because he's an evil robot and doesn't want all of his AI robots to die. And then a good robot comes back to save John Connor. And that good robot is none other than one of the best actors of all time, Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Someone say amen. I think he, I'm think i pretty sure he won an Oscar. He won an Oscar for Terminator 2. Uh, but he comes back and, and, and uh, you know, he's just this, he looks like a human, right? But he's not actually a human. He's a cyborg. He's a cybernetic organism, a T-1000 cybernetic organism. And so he actually isn't a human, but he's kind of half human, half robot. And the whole movie, Terminator 2, is this young junior hire uh, kind of pulling out the uh, lack of emotion from the robot. It's, it's, really, it's really funny, really comedic to see Arnold and the robot, you know, you know when he first sees John Connor, some of the effect of like, John Connor, from the future, come with me if you want to live, you know. And then this is where this is all leading, this is all going somewhere, so elders don't fire me yet. Alright, <laughs> is at the very end of the movie, and I haven't seen I had to look this up, at the very end of the movie, uh, there's this huge epic scene where the evil robot finally dies, and and Arnold, the good robot, is, is his, his true identity is revealed. He's got like that one red eye because his face is kind of melted away. He's a robot. And the kid is crying. The kid is just overwhelmed with emotion, John Connor. And this is the line that got Arnold his Oscar. Are right, you guys ready for this? So the kid's crying. It's near the end of the movie. He's overcome with emotion. And this is what the Terminator says to the kid. I know now why you cry, but it's something I can never do, is what he says. I know now why you cry, but I, as a robot, it's something I can't do. And the reason I share that, this is often our view of God's heart towards us, right? We have so much trouble looking at Jesus and understanding that in one person, divinity and humanity dwelt in one person. And so and so it's it's hard to be like, well, well, Jesus, do you really feel for us? Do you really know what it's like? You're God, you're you're superhuman right? And so, so are you therefore above petty human emotions? And God's love for us is hard to comprehend because he's God. We think since he's God, he's cold, that God is distant, God is robotic, God is devoid of true uh, of feeling. And the reason why is because in comparison to God's vastness and his glory and his greatness, if we're having a bad day, it's like an ant is having a bad day. Like, like imagine like an ant like, you know, crashed his car and lost his house to a rainstorm, and, and, like, and you're just like, hey, man, sorry, aunt, I know now why you cry, but it doesn't really affect me that much, right? Because you're a mere, mere aunt, and that's often how we view God. Is he, he understands, but he surely isn't moved emotionally. He doesn't have any affections that are kind of attached to his people's hearts. A.W. Tozer has this quote about Jesus. For in the person of Jesus Christ is all the beauty in wonderment of God. If you want to know what God is like, Jesus Christ put God the Father on display. He put his nature, his character, his passions on display, and in our sermon text today, we see that this Jesus, when confronted, when face to face with the crippling pain and sorrow and grief that death brings to those he loves, He didn't say, I know now why you cry, but it's something I could never do. This Jesus, God who took on flesh and dwelt among us, he broke down weeping. He entered into and felt the suffering of the human condition. And what we learn about God is he is not cold, he is not distant, he is not robotic, but he feels, this God feels deeply and immensely on behalf of his people. And why is that? Because if God is love, then that love will manifest in deep affection and feeling. Because wherever there's love, there's deep deep affection and feeling for the object of one's love. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. Really simple sermon outline, past, present, future. Jesus wept, Jesus weeps, and one day Jesus Christ will end all weeping for his people. So let's pray and then we'll dive into the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can call you Father. We thank you, Jesus, that you have torn down every obstacle that would keep us from your heart. You did all the work. That's what we celebrate, is you just invite us to come. You say, I provided the wine. I provided the bread. I've, 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 I've torn down the wall of hostility of your sin. And death doesn't get the final say. Death is just a doorway to everlasting life, eternal life, fellowship with me. You've done all the work removing every obstacle that would keep sinful humanity from encountering the eternal depths of your love. And so, Lord, we say thank you for that? And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do something unique and special in our hearts. I pray that this would be a life-changing morning for us, God. Where by your word and by your spirit, you break through and pierce through hard, cold hearts. And it's the the love and the kindness and the affection of God shown to us in Jesus that melts hearts of stone. Because if we see you rightly, if we see you rightly, we would never, never want to turn our backs on you, God. We never want to leave your presence when we see you rightly. So, So open up the eyes of our hearts that we can see you rightly. And the heights give us strength to comprehend the heights, the lengths, the depths of your love for us in Christ Jesus. That if you love us to the extent that, Jesus, you would lay down your life for us, then surely that love manifests in shared feeling and emotions for what your people are walking through, God. So comfort the brokenhearted, encourage the weary, strengthen the weak this morning, God. And we give all glory to you, and may all eyes be on you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, Jesus wept. So quick context, this first point, Jesus wept context of our text is, if you read John chapter 10, we're in John chapter 11, John chapter 10, Jesus is near the end of his earthly ministry. He had just left Jerusalem uh, where uh, they were celebrating the feast of dedication, which we know as Hanukkah. In late November, early December, that was when that would be celebrated. And he just left Jerusalem and now is uh, on the eastern uh, side of the Jordan River. Why are Jesus and his disciples on the eastern side of the Jordan River when we find him in John 11? Because when they were in Jerusalem, a few moments prior, Jesus kicked the hornet's nest in Jerusalem. And all the religious leaders, had it. they're like, we have it up to here with Jesus. They had stones in their hands ready to stone him and ready to arrest him. And so where we find Jesus is he now is on the eastern shore of the Jordan River in a town where John the Baptist began his earthly ministry. And within a few months, Jesus would be on the cross. So we're in between kind of Christmas and Easter, if you will. Uh, in the narrative. And Jesus is there and he gets news. What does he get news? If you look at verse three, what does it say? This is the news he gets. Verse three, behold, Martha and Mary sent the messenger. They didn't have a text or an email back then, so you gotta send someone to walk. Behold, someone comes and says, behold, Lazarus, whom you love, is ill, is ill. Now I love in our text today, and we're going to hone in on this. We're not going to gloss over this because it's important. For to, to, to This is the linchpin for why we see that Jesus wept. Look at how John, the apostle John, the author of this letter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, describes the love for the, that Jesus had for this family. It says, Lazarus, whom you love, is ill. And then verse 5 says this, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So what we see here is that these were dear, close friends of Jesus. They weren't part of the 12. They weren't part of the three within the 12. But they were dear friends of Jesus. He had deep affection for them. We're not sure uh, how long this relationship uh, lasted. Maybe it went back to childhood, family friends. We're not sure um, like how they knew each other. But what we do know is that when Jesus saw Lazarus, when Jesus saw Mary, when Jesus saw Martha, he considered them friends. He loved them greatly. They, they, they brought a smile to Jesus' face. Like, not a side hug. This is like a bear hug, right? Laughter, grins, you know? Like, Jesus maybe doing, like, you know, side punches when he saw Lazarus. Like, that's when you know when you're really a friend with someone, when they give you, oh, I'm so glad to see you, you know? Like, side punches in the kidney, ah, you know? Like, that, that's the affection that Jesus had for Mary and Martha and Lazarus. When he saw them, he lit up. He smiled. Their presence brought him joy. And what Jesus models to us is that in contrast to our default setting, that God is this deistic, distant, cold, robotic God who's disinterested in our lives. Jesus modeled to us that our God is a relational God. He is a relational God. That God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit dwell in in an eternal friendship, Together, loving each other perfectly. God is one God in three persons, and those three persons, for all of eternity, have been loving each other perfectly, enjoying each other's company. This is the the divine dance of the Trinity, as Tim Keller, I think, stealing from C.S. Lewis, talks about. And here is what is one of the most unfathomable things about the gospel: is Jesus Christ to to ruin sinners says, "Hey." come and join us in this divine dance, this eternal friendship of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We get invited to experience the joy and the delight that God has in himself forever, that eternal friendship. And I don't know about you, but uh, over the course of, of your life, you, there's seasons in life where you get, you're on the outskirts of being in, in the in crowd. You know what I'm saying? There's, there's, a, there's a crowd of people, and, and they're cooler than you, and and you know they have hair. Maybe you're balding. I don't know. You know, and, and you're trying to get in, right? And uh, and they're shunning you. You can't get in. They have this tight knit thing. Maybe they go back way back, right? And the Trinity doesn't. The, the Trinity goes pretty far back, right? Their their relationship, right? <laughs> and God doesn't say, "Yeah, you don't don't you stay over there." All right, this is the cool table. You guys stay over there. God says, "Hey, come close. Come enter in." I don't want to keep this from you. This is amazing. I'm a relational God. Your joy in life, your delight in life, your purpose in life is to experience a relationship with me, is knowing God. Come in, enter in to this friendship that we're enjoying. Taste and see the goodness of eternal relational connection that can never be severed. And if you're in Christ Jesus, that's our our life. That's the air we breathe. Eternal, relational, covenantal love with God forever and nothing. What we just saying about death. Death ain't no devil, ain't no demon, ain't no death, ain't no sin that can separate us from that. We belong with God in the divine dance of the Godhead forever, period, end of discussion. Jesus purchased that for us. And the million-dollar question is, do you believe this? Do you believe that this is what God is like? This is his, his heartbeat. When it says, when, when, when they go to, to, to Jesus and they say, Lazarus, whom you love, do you call dibs on that? We don't want to read ourselves into the text, but we know we know that, that the gospel reveals God's love for us. And if we fell ill and somebody sent a messenger to Jesus on our behalf, you know, it would be uh, Nick who... Um, He's not the best. Nick who kind of grinds your gears. Nick who can't get his act together. Nick who can't handle it. No, 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 no. What about this? Nick whom you love is ill. And it moves the heart of Jesus. Do you believe that? If you believe that, this is like my whole point of my sermon today is saying, if you believe that, you'll draw near. And if you don't believe that about God's heart, you won't draw near. But everything we see in the gospel is God saying, come close, I have taken the hit, I've removed every obstacle, so why, 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 why? What's the end goal of redemption? Relationship. Come close to my heart, come close to my presence. I want you with me forever. Lazarus, whom you love. Is that how you see God's heart for you? The heart of God is he delights in his children, he enjoys their company. In the upper room, he calls his disciples friends. And the simple definition of a friend is someone you want to hang out with. You know? Someone you want to hang out with. Right? Anyone here have a friend they didn't want to hang out with? Right? If he calls you friends and I enjoy your company. You bring a smile to my face. And again, the reason I'm honing in on this, you and I will keep our distance from God if deep down we think he's disinterested or disgusted with us because we'll never move close to someone who will reject us if we open up our hearts to him. And just as Jesus wanted to spend time with Martha and Mary and Lazarus, you better believe he wants to spend time with us because in John 15, he commands us. He says, you abide in me, you remain in me. You stay connected to me and you will bear much fruit. Don't leave me. I want, I want your heart connected to my heart. And that's the insanity of the gospel is that we sinners who wanted nothing to do with God, God wanted everything to do with us to the extent that Jesus Christ would die to spend forever with us and us with him. And we're going to close in Revelation 21 uh, where the, the anthem of heaven is uh, the place where God dwells with man and man dwells with God. And this is what we know. Moving from that, God deeply loves us to this. What we know about genuine, sincere love is true love always shares in and participates in feelings. Do you guys catch that? True love always shares in and participates in feelings. Meaning this: it is impossible to love someone. This is why love is so hard. This is why it's so hard to open up your heart to somebody. Because, because it's impossible to deep down love someone and remain unaffected by them. When you open up your heart to somebody, your heart gets 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 hitched to their heart, if you will, right? Like, I have uh, some friends. I never used to cheer for the the Philadelphia Eagles for good reasons. And then uh, when I came to this church, the Matthews family are diehard Eagles fans. And so in 2018, when the Eagles won the Super Bowl, I never liked the Eagles. I was, you know, Washington Commanders fan. You you have to hate the Eagles. But I was like, man, I I love them. I saw the video, you know, them celebrating, them dancing, them jumping up and down, shouting, and it brought me joy. I was like, that's awesome. And then uh, a couple Sundays ago, when the, the Eagles lost first round in the playoffs, uh, I rejoiced. I, uh, <laughs> <sorry>. <laughs> I still rejoiced. It didn't affect me. All right. I'm just kidding. But no, I did feel bad. I wanted to, I wanted to come alongside Caleb and, and Saju and the, and the Matthews, right, and, and cheer and like enter into their... Joy, and as I entered into their joys, I also entered into you enter into their sorrows as well. And what I'm getting at in a mysterious, in a mysterious, unique way, the unchanging eternal God is affected by his people. The unchanging, steadfast, fortress, stronghold, omnipotent God is affected by his people's lives. Scripture says clearly, God reveals himself, says, I'm a jealous God. Which means that when his people go and leave his presence and chase after idols, that, 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 that this stirs up this, this divine, pure, uh, jealous love. And if you've ever been married to someone or dating someone and, you, and, and that were to happen to you, you would understand what God is saying. He's saying, that's my heart towards you. We can, we can, scripture says that we can actually grieve the Holy Spirit inside of us. We can grieve the Holy Spirit And since Jesus' love, and he reveals the love of God, what we know about Jesus is Jesus shares in, and participates in the feelings of his flock. I've shared this recently, but I'll share it again because I I felt led to share it and illustrates what I'm talking about. In 2021, we bought a a house in North Springfield. It was an older house. and uh, In the backyard, there's like six massive trees, like monsters. And I'm looking at these trees. I'm like, man, if one of these things fell on our house, they're really close, it was would, it would like a knife to butter, just like boom, you know, like divide it in half. Like now I have two houses, great. Um, and one of the trees, it was, it was two trees together, and inside it was, it, was, it was a rotting. It was called tree rot, I think is what it's called, in the stump. So I got a ton of estimates, super expensive, uh, and um, I couldn't make up my mind with what we should do about these, these trees. Because I'm not, you're, <laughs> my side hustle isn't cutting down trees in case you didn't know that, and <laughs> like, Bible case, you know, like, I'm not doing that, I'm all, you know, whatever. And uh, so I'm praying, like, I have a lot of estimates, and I don't know what decision to make. Do we cut down all? Do we cut down some? Do we not cut them down? And I'm going to the Lord in prayer, and something that has profoundly changed my life is there is a book on the book table in the lobby by Paul Miller called A Praying Life. And um, outside of the Bible, the book that, two books that have really powerfully changed my life, one I read in high school if you're in junior high and in high school, I would highly encourage you to read this book, Don't Waste Your Life by John Piper. Don't Waste Your Life by John Piper. I highly encourage you to get that book and read that. And the second one is A Praying Life by Paul Miller because he, he just shows us the heart of God, that God is a father who wants to hear about the needs of his, of his kids. And so I never used to pray like that. And so I, anyways, but until I do recently, this past couple, in the summer of this past year. So summer this past year, I'm praying, and I, this is how I enter into my prayer. I'm going, I'm going, Lord, I know these trees are mere splinters to you. Like, like you, don't, you don't care about this. Like, in, 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 like in, in, in everything that's happening globally, you have bigger fish to fry than, than like, Nick's tree problem in North Springfield, right? Like, and so, like, that was my lead-in. I'm like, so, you're busy, I get it, you know? Like, I'm, I'm sorry to bother you, but, but would you help me make a decision here? And I felt... The still small voice of God, a thought flashed across my mind, and I heard clear as day, Nick, if it's important to you, it's important to me. If it's important to you, it's important to me. And I I I mean I about hit the floor. I couldn't believe it. I believe that was the 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 still small voice of God speaking to me in that moment. Of Nick, I like I'm with you till the end, till till eternity. There is no end with you. I'm I'm with you. I'm I'm in your life. I want you to pour out your heart to me. Don't don't stay distant. Don't stay cold. Invite me into that. I have, I, and, and, and he's like, I'll give it to you. Like, seek me and ask. It blew my mind. The Lord, the king of the universe, would, would, would come alongside and enter into our world. But it's true. It's true. That's his heart. And that's what we're going to celebrate with communion is the heart of God. Look at everything I've done so that you can be invited into my life. And we're not just inviting God into our life, we're being invited into his life, which is way better. To his plan, to his will, to his purposes. When you lose your life in God's life is when you truly find Life. It's not inviting God into your wills. It's, it's finding your life in his, and that's where the true life is found. And yet he cares, and yet he feels, and yet he knows, and yet he walks with us. And so what we see, what we learn, is the greater degree of love you have for someone, the greater the degree and the depth of shared emotion. If you truly love someone, it's impossible to be unmoved by them. And so therefore, when we see Jesus Christ, the Son of God, encountering, the depth of Martha and Mary's grief and pain and anguish and sorrow at the death of their dear brother Lazarus. The most natural thing for Jesus to do, full of love for them, was to weep. And when we read this text, initially, first glance, we go, that, how, could, how could Jesus ever break down and weep? This doesn't make any sense. But if we pause at verse 3, verse 5, that he cares immensely about us, this is the most natural, sane thing for someone who truly loves us to do. Do you believe that? Those who've seen loved ones pass away, those who are going through a hard time, that that God isn't cold and distant and, and doesn't look at Martha and Mary when they're saying, God, where were you? Jesus, where were you? We've seen what you could have done. You could have stopped this. Where were you? Jesus, it just breaks him. Overwhelming emotion. And it just pours out of him the suffering that sin and, and death brings to his beloved. Verse 33 to 35. And when Jesus saw, this is Mary now, Mary weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply, deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. And our text doesn't say, like a T-1000 cybernetic organism, that he he shed one tear or his, his eyes watered. In the Greek, the connotation here is that tears poured down his face. Poured down his face. Ugly cry. Not like, calm, cool, collected. No, he, like, if you've seen chosen season four trailer, my goodness, it's going to be a good season. But Jesus falls on his knees in, in just shared sympathetic sorrow for the grief of those he loves. And what's fascinating is this, absolutely wild, is Jesus Christ wept at their weeping and their pain when he knew how this whole thing ended. And like, however long it took him to walk to the tomb, 30 minutes, he knew, Jesus knew, in 30 minutes, like, he's he's punching Lazarus in the kidneys, you know, like, Lazarus, you stink a little bit, let's get you, but dude, you're alive, let's go, man, boom, Jesus is going to march, he's going to stand the resurrection and the life, I mean, I mean, prof- like, uh, uh Any human being who would ever call that outside of Jesus, you would say is insane. But Jesus says that he, I, in his conversation with Martha, he says, I am the resurrection and the life, meaning I am the only one who can conquer death. I am the only one who can give resurrection where there is death. And on top of that, I'm the only one who holds the keys to life and everlasting life. I'm the only one. I am the resurrection and the life. And he says to, to Martha, this is us, ah, I note here, Whatever, uh, he, he says to Martha, he goes, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Now, now is Jesus like, like, like Jesus, when someone's grieving, you don't just like throw scripture verses at them, you know, like, what are you doing here? Why are you saying, do you believe this? And here's what we know about grief and sorrow. Dang it. Mm. For those of us in life who have had to walk through trauma, and confusing, gut-wrenching, difficult things, the death of a loved one. Doubts begin to wage war on your heart about God's goodness and his love for you. Doubt wages an all-out campaign to forever tarnish your view of God because of what you've had to endure and what you've had to walk through. Our community group—we're sharing testimonies uh, every meeting to start our meeting. And my wife got chosen last time. We cast lots every <laughs> every week prior. Uh, and um, one of the parts of her testimony, she shared how she came to faith through Young Life in and, and high school, saved out of uh, saved out of sin and and despair, living like you know her best life in high school, but it was all empty, and, and she was longing for something more. And heard the gospel and gave her life to Jesus. And, but she also shared about how. One of the things that the Lord was teaching her was, was his goodness and suffering. She, we, we had to walk alongside these past four years. Her dad, stage four cancer, liver cancer, passing away, and her having a really, really hard battle with Crohn's disease. And um, something her sister, in the midst of their dad passing away in the midst of her Crohn's disease, and it was brutal. Like, we've spared you the details, but that year where it got undiagnosed, it was brutal. Her sister would tell her this. She would go to the doctor. She's crying. She's talking to her sister, twin sister, Ange. She said, remember, Jen, God is good, and he loves you. God is good, and he loves you. Because in pain, in sorrow, in grief, we go, Jesus, you're not the resurrection and the life. You didn't show up. Where are you? Right? And then Jesus is looking at Martha in her grief saying, do you believe this? It's an invitation to, to, to hold on to faith in the midst of pain and sorrow. That's the invitation of Jesus, is don't lose your faith. Come close, draw near to me. Jesus had seen this movie already. You ever watch a movie again that's really emotional and you find yourself crying in the middle of it? You're watching Terminator 2 and you're just weeping, you know? You know how it ends. The hero wins. The resurrection the life is going to hit the undo button on your death.